Uh, and thank you all for joining us um, tonight as we have another episode of the Veterans Corporate Council Roundtable, where we have the opportunity to have genuine discussions with individuals who are making a difference in the veteran community and in uh, corporate America um, and, and doing a lot of great things. So tonight we're privileged to have Will Wilberside, an example, uh, he's somebody who's an example of somebody who's always given back to the veteran community and we're proud to have him on tonight. In fact, I think it was the first time I actually met Will was through some collaboration work the Veterans Corporate Council was doing with the Shurian. And at that time, Will was always uh, one of the first ones to volunteer to help out. So uh, his uh, spirit of giving goes back years since I've known him. So uh, Will, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks Charles, appreciate you having me. No, absolutely. Um, you know, for, for those who, uh, um, you know, uh, who are listening, you know, I, one of the things I always like to start out with is just give the, uh, the individuals we meet with and talk with a little chance to talk about themselves you know, tell, and if you were in the military, what branch of service you were, you're in and uh, where you're from now. Yeah, so uh, I had the privilege of serving in uh, the U.S. Army from 92 to 97. I was a combat medic. I did most of my years over in Germany and about four different duty stations and had just a fantastic experience. Um, rotated out and spent a bunch of years in uh, Philadelphia and then moved down here to Nashville, Tennessee in 2000 and uh, came here to go to school and then met my beautiful wife and, and that was it. I was hooked and I've been here ever since. That is a great way to finally find a home, right? When you find uh, someone to fall in love with, right? So. Absolutely. Awesome. Um, and uh, so right now I believe, uh, I think you live out in uh, Murfreesboro, Tennessee. That That's it, home of the Blue Raiders. <laughs> yeah, MTSU has got a nice campus for sure. Um, a lot of great stuff that they do for the veteran community as well. So, uh, with the ongoing COVID nineteen uh, environment and uh, the you know what it's done to just you know our daily living, what's the one thing that you miss the most? And then probably or on that same note, what what's the one thing you're missing or looking forward to getting back to once um, you know the COVID subsides? Oh man, it's almost sacrilegious to say, but I miss the office. You know, I miss going in every day and seeing my, my teammates and my coworkers. You know, you mentioned, you know, having a sense of, of service and volunteering. I'm, I'm part of a team. I love to be part of a squad, part of a unit and, and that work. I, you know, we've traded out uniforms for, you know, khakis and, and button down shirts, but it's, it's still the same team. It's a group of people doing great work and uh, you just don't get that from home. You know, you can join all the Zoom meetings you want, but it's, it's not the same. You have to sit across the table from someone and look them in the eye and get a commitment from them and then uh, hold them accountable and they hold you accountable and, and that, makes the, that makes the system work. Um, surprisingly, I miss my commute a tiny bit because I listen to so many audiobooks in the car and, and I feel like I get a tiny bit smarter with each frustrating drive. Uh, and I'm not listening to a lot of audiobooks right now because, you know, it doesn't feel right from home. But uh, doing a lot of reading right now, actually paper reading, which is, which is strange to hold a book in my hands again. But uh, it, it's been a, a strange and interesting time. So I guess when, when it's all done, I'm looking forward to getting back with my team again and keeping that good work going. Nice. And I think right now um, uh, you're at Phillips, right? Yeah, Phillips Healthcare, downtown in Nashville. Oh, nice. And what do you do there? So I'm one of the leaders in the uh, operational excellence department working on 
uh, lean process improvement. So Philips is an enormous corporation uh, spanning the globe. It's headquartered in, in uh, the Netherlands, uh, but it's got sites all over the US uh, and, and, and the world. And our responsibility is to take our hub in Nashville, the global business services hub, and uh, apply our Lean Six Sigma skill sets to, to stamp that waste out of the process and get all the, the, the stupid, time-wasting, non-value-added activity out of the process so our teams can work less hard and yet put out more output, because that, that's the beautiful thing, right? Oh, no, absolutely. Nice. And, and uh, you know, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, your time with Philips, you know, do, do they have a veterans ERG there? They don't yet. Uh, not that I'm aware of. They, they have a fantastic um, uh, African-American resource group that, that's really strong and a, a very strong pride group. Uh, but they're kind of new at this, right? Like a lot of corporations, they're, they're somewhat new to the game and they're figuring out their own path, but they're trying super hard. And um, my hub in Nashville, the GBS hub, is, is relatively new. It hasn't been in place for a very long time, about 15 months. Um, teams are still transitioning there from all over the country. So we're still kind of figuring this whole thing out, but uh, there's, there's a good network there in place of people who care and give back. And we actually got to experiencing that, experience that when the tornadoes uh, ripped through Nashville here in March. Um, I was part of a, a band of about 20 people that went downtown to, to Germantown and spent uh, an entire day moving complete strangers out of the, the condos in Germantown that had been demolished by the tornadoes. And, and moving them into storage centers or onto U-Haul trucks or into new homes. And so right away I saw that obviously Philip cares and Phillips gives back and uh, there's, a, there's a coalition of the willing. So we, we're still trying to figure out how to tap into that. Yeah, absolutely. I think one thing I've always been impressed about with Phillips is what they've done with their community in terms of outreach. So, um, so very impressive for sure. Um, you know, uh, you know, you were talking about just your background in the, the military as a, a medic, you know, uh, you know, I think for those who uh, may be not familiar with, you know, just sort of, um, you know, what that entails. Can you just sort of give an overview to some of the people who may be listening about, you know, what, what you did as a combat medic? Yeah, so the, the front half of my, my short but, but life-changing tour, uh, I was in a heavy armored unit. So I, I, I was attached to a, an armored unit that um, when, when those tankers would become injured, you know, the medics would follow behind the, the tank squad in a, a little tracked vehicle and, and evac those soldiers as needed. And full disclosure, I never served in combat. Um, I got in after Iraq one and got out before Iraq two. Uh, just, just so happened that way. And uh, the unit I had formerly served in actually deployed to Bosnia, Herzegovina, uh, but I had already ETS from that from that that unit and wasn't a part of that. So that was uh, the front half of the tour. The back half, uh, I was in an actual battalion aid station. And so in, in non-combat, what a medic typically does is triage soldiers and their family members coming into sick call and, and try to understand what's going what's going on with them and then get them back to the doctor in the order of importance. And then uh, should should that that unit need that type of assistance. Uh, we provide emergency response and ambulances, uh, mass casualty support, and, and whatever else the community needed at that time. Um, a lot of during peacetime activity, a lot of our, our time was spent teaching CPR, uh, drown proofing, resuscitation, the Heimlich maneuver, all that good stuff, and, and going to the schools 
and the nearby communities, uh, teaching them how to stay safe and healthy. Awesome. And when you were getting out of the military, um, did you have anything, did you have initial thoughts of trying to get back into the um, healthcare arena or, you know, what, what was your thought process when you were doing that transition, which, you know, for a lot of us, when we're getting out that first time, you know, it's sort of eyes wide open, not unsure of what tomorrow would bring, but you know, you got to do something. So curious to learn a little bit more about uh, your transition there. Yeah. So short answer, it was bad. It was super bad. <laughs> uh, I was a licensed EMT in the state of New Jersey through my time in the military and then testing out and passing the tests uh, during the army. Uh, when I exited, I went to Philadelphia where my family had, had relocated to, my extended family. And at that time in the 90s, uh, Pennsylvania did not recognize New Jersey certifications. So the statement made to me is if I wanted to continue to be a licensed EMT, I would have to start all over at the beginning and take school from the beginning like I hadn't done a single thing. And back then, uh, EMTs weren't making very much money riding ambulances and the, the areas were super unsafe. Uh, uh, EMTs get sent into a lot of really stressful, hard-pressed situations and, and Philly is a big city and it was struggling in the 90s, it, you know, it just was. So I, I tried to work in that field and it didn't work out. And so for the longest year of my life, I was a certified nursing assistant and I worked in a nursing home. And, and let me tell you what, you see some things. Uh, then I went over to uh, Lancaster General Hospital in, in Pennsylvania and, and worked as a, a medical assistant, what many people would think of as an orderly. And that was a lot closer to what I remember doing, but it still wasn't super great and didn't pay very well. Uh, and I thought long and hard about going to nursing school and, and just, just didn't work out. So I ended up uh, relocating to Nashville to go to school to get a degree. And while I was down here and going to school, I was working part-time and I landed at Verizon Wireless uh, way back in the day when, when cell phones were analog and just starting to turn to digital. And I knew right away that that was a field I wanted to be in. I was into technology. I saw that cell phones were gonna be enormous and it was a growing field. And uh, the field really didn't know what it was back then and was just hiring like crazy. And I thought that this could be a fantastic career. And I'm really tired of all the, the things that come with being a not doctor in the medical field. So we're gonna go ahead and reclass. Oh, nice. And uh, I think from there you went after how long were you there at Verizon? I worked at Verizon for about three years and then got recruited to come over to Assurian uh, when it was just starting up its uh, Laverne Distribution Center and later moved over to Smyrna to their, their now their technology and logistics center uh, and had a fantastic run there. I was there for 17 years. Um, I think Assurian is an outstanding outfit. I, I treasure my time there. Some of my very best friends in the world are from there and um, it, it's, it's a good outfit and they're trying real hard to, to do their thing. So nice. it gave me a lot of, a lot of new perspective on life and gave me a, an entire career and process improvement. So I'm forever grateful. Awesome. You know, I think one of the things, you know, as we met over the, over the last few years and, and met up at different networking events, I think one of the things we always talk about is, you know, veterans really don't do a real good job when, whether they're in the corporate place or, or outside of it where, you know, they, they really build a network that's genuine um, to sort of cultivate and really be a part of their sort of, you know, their new tribe in the, you know, post-military career. Um, what, are, what are your thoughts on the value and what would you tell veterans 
whether they're in corporate America already or looking to transition out, the value of trying to build those bridges and relationships and the impact that they can have. Yeah, so uh, it, it starts and ends with, well, it starts with getting a mentor, getting someone in, in your circle that you trust, that you respect, um, that's either in a space you want to be in or has relevance or, or history in that kind of space. Someone that can give you a lot of feedback and, and, and help you f- create a bridge from where you are to where you want to go. Um, obviously, as you know, I think, I think the world of LinkedIn, I think LinkedIn is an incredibly powerful tool not just to connect to a bunch of people you've worked with or connect to people at companies that you want to be in, but to connect with people that, that you can help and they can help you. And, and what you learn as you go through the journey is part of having a mentor or being a mentor is creating powerful connections uh, with the, with the spirit of there's, there's nothing to gain by it. You mentor others because you care about them and you want them to succeed as, as people and as professionals. And, you ask for mentorship because you need some help and you know, you put your ego up on the shelf and find your humility and you ask for help. A lot of veterans miss that step. And and a lot of, a lot of corporate America misses that step, but people tend to think of networking all wrong. They think of who can, who, who can I connect to and what can I get out of this relationship? And that's like just backwards in my mind. It's how can I connect with interesting, fascinating people that, that, that can help, that I can help and that can help me and that I can, I can grow stronger from just by, by learning and listening. And how do I give back regardless if it gets me anything? And so when you grow a network in that sense, your network is quite powerful and, and diverse and strong. And you meet people that, that probably can't do a, a thing in your professional career, but they can give you so much guidance and advice. And they can just be friends. They can, they can be allies. They can be people you go have a hamburger with or a, an adult beverage and it, it, it's all good. And when you stop thinking of networking as a competition and think of it as, I just want to meet interesting people that I care about, then you'll have a powerful network. And, and, and sadly, veterans need to start this process a lot earlier than they do, and they need to grow that and cultivate that network for months, if not years, to, to get ready for the journey, because the journey sucks. It's really hard, man. Yeah. So that's, where, that's where you can lean into that, to that, to that circle or that tribe you describe, and even if nothing else, then I'm, I'm having a bad day and I'd love to tell someone about it. Like, that's your tribe. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, you know, you know, when you make the transition out, I remember me, myself, I got out back in 2005, you know, I wasn't as fortunate, at least in the transitioning process to have any real guidance or mentorship. But I, what really helped me was when I first landed at, um, in uh, uh, consulting for a while, I had some veterans there. You and you all are trying to learn together, <laughs> and, and sometimes there is misery and comfort, right? <laughs> when you have a, a or comfort and misery, when you have people there to you can uh, sort of lean on and have the same experience. But then, as you sort of grow and um, mature in your professional career path, finding others that can help you, and then you help them. You know, it's always about paying it forward. Um, so I, I think it's well said. Um, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, I think you were talking about is, you know, the preparation activity. If you were to go back in time to a younger Will, who's probably a few months or years before transitioning, what, what, would, what advice would you give yourself? Oh, my gravy. That's a, that's a loaded question. Uh, one, save your money, man. You're going to need it. You, know, <laughs> you, you need about five times as much as you think. Uh, but more importantly, like, 
I know TAP is powerful, the transition assistance program, and it's good people trying to do good work, but they're just not connected to the corporate community or to the, to the job market the way you wish they were. Um, it's a lot of DOD uh, professionals, DOD employees, or former military uh, people that have transitioned over. It's great foundational work. I don't take anything away from it. It's certainly needed, but there's more than that. There's more on top of that that's needed. I think of school like a one-on-one course. The 201 and the 301 has to be right behind it to build that, that picture or that, that total story. So, man, if I could go back in time, there's so many people I, I networked with back before I knew what to call it that I didn't keep up with, I didn't stay current with. Um, I didn't think I needed their help, so I kind of let them drift out of my life. Um, even in my time in, in my early career in, in the hospital or even the nursing home, people are all around you that can help you and teach you, but you have to be open to it. You have to be willing and you have to, you have to accept the signal they're sending. And, and you know, when I was younger and, and, and much sillier, I wanted to do everything the hard way and not listen and not pay attention and, and not ask for help. And so everything took twice as long and was twice as hard. So yeah, if I could go back, uh, besides saving my money, it'd, it'd be ask for help and, and grow your tribe and stay connected to people that, that you're interested in that, that matter in your life and, and take all the effort it takes to, to keep that relationship moving. No, absolutely. Um, that's actually good advice. And, and probably the younger Will would probably appreciate it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That guy was stupid. He didn't listen. <laughs> but I love yeah. him, you know. <laughs> you know, um, you know, because prior to your time here, and I know you said like Phillips is, you know, still in the early stages in terms of any veteran ERG. I know you spent some time with Asurian as part of uh, – an ERG and part of the leadership team of that veteran ERG. What would you say just generally to, to individuals who are in companies that don't have an ERG or, or ones that are really start, have one, but they're trying to get it going about the value of having an ERG uh, and what it can mean to an organization um, impact to the community and their bottom line? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Uh, the, the couple of thoughts that come to mind, one, are, one is start small, start really small. You know, it's as easy as getting with your friends over at Operation Stand Down in Nashville or the Nashville Rescue Mission or, or any of dozens of fantastic local outfits that are, that are doing the great work and just start small. Even if it's five people going out to volunteer for a couple hours, that's enough. That's enough to get the flywheel turning. That's enough to, to, to feel that feeling of service and, and to get excited about it. Uh, you know, companies will get excited about the smallest thing and to find, you know, to find out that five employees went down and spent four hours on their personal time, you know, volunteering to, to serve lunch to the homeless. It's a, that's a big deal. And companies care about that. Companies get it. And, and what you'll always find in almost every company of every size is there are leaders who deeply care about that kind of thing, who will make time for it, who will support it, whether by, you know, creative time off or, or limited financial support or just by, you know, blessing, blessing the team member to go off and do it. And the other thing is uh, don't assume anything, right? So start really small and, and send some, some really well thought communication out. Uh, get, get the various teams talking, find, find, who is willing, who is able, who wants to get out there and get after it. And if people don't want to, that, that's okay. You know, everyone comes to service in their own way and it's, it's nothing to shame anyone about or necessarily celebrate anyone about. It's, 
people, people come to service in their own way. The other thing I would say that's really important is, especially when it comes to the veteran community, don't limit it to veterans, which sounds counterintuitive, but what we found in my, my previous space was we started as, you know, a vets club and that's great. And then there, you know, we found there was lots of spouses of veterans that, that served inside our company that, that wanted to participate too, that if you're a spouse of a vet and you spend 10 years in, in, in the life, you're a vet too, like it or not, you, you've lived the life, you've moved bases every two to three years, you know, you understand deployments, you understand hardships. So, you know, you're one of us. And then we found there was even a, like a third layer, a third ring of people that they weren't directly spouses of veterans, but they were family member of veterans, or they had a friend who was a veteran, or most importantly, they just cared about the veteran community and they wanted to give back. And it was actions and not words. Don't count those people out, pull them into the circle and say, hey, what we want is to make the lives of current and former veterans just a little bit better. So we want people willing to do that. It doesn't matter if you, you personally served or not, you're serving now and that's what's important. You know, I think uh, what you said there is sort of the key that, you know, as you talk to those um, veteran groups that are truly engaging and successful, they're, they're ones that cast a wide t uh, tent in terms of membership and engagement, right? Um, because even in my time at Cigna, I think I would say, easily say that 50% or, or, or a little bit more than that were non-veterans. They were veteran supporters, family members, friends, or just somebody who um, wanted to be a, a supportive um, element to the, the veteran community. So it's a huge um, asset for sure. So, no, I think that's a, a great point that you highlight there. And definitely, I think, you know, sometimes, you know, a lot of organizations sometimes want to reinvent the wheel. So your point there about starting small, you know, go for the you know, low-hanging fruit, to use the phrase, and, and partner with uh, organizations in town who have that infrastructure that you can support. They just don't have necessarily the resources or manpower. So Tennessee and Nashville, Operation Stand Down is a great one. And I don't know if, uh, Will, if you had a chance to check out their new uh, um, uh, facilities there since they actually did the uh, um, renovations. It, lo it looks amazing. I have not. I have not had a chance to get down there. And I know uh, Big John Crenson invited me down to come check it out. And just timing and timing and COVID haven't allowed it, but I can't <laughs> wait to get down there and see it. Yeah, John is actually uh, retiring. And uh, Eden is now the uh, taking over as the CEO. So. Uh, Eden will do a great job down there as well. Um, but if you get, haven't had a chance, uh, you definitely should check out the new facility. Uh, Creative Vets also moved into, uh, they're leasing some of the space there too. So it, it really looks like a great uh, focal point for a veteran community and services. So it's so a little, little plug there to both organizations there. Um, so, um, you know, one of the things is you, as we sort of talk about that, you know, if you had people sort of transitioning today and if you were saying, you know, what type of skill sets would probably help them be, you know, there's always, you know, what you do in the military doesn't necessarily equate to what you do post-military. But if you were to try and give them a, you know, a sense for what type of skill sets outside of the leadership dimension that they get in the military, but if they were to probably spend some time honing and sharpening, what, any recommendations you would give them? Yeah, I mean, the thing, yes, the thing that comes to the front the most is, is typically logistics. Um, many military members have, have 
been responsible for huge inventories, have been responsible to move both uh, physical inventory and people from one, la one location to another and safely. Uh, they're typically, typically responsible for some pretty complicated gear that has to be tracked to the, to the smallest part and has to kept, be kept in a high state of readiness. So, I mean, logistics lends itself a lot to that. You mentioned leadership. Uh, a lot of soldiers don't realize the level of leadership they come out with. Uh, it's super comparable to a, a very well compensated supervisor in the current job market or even uh, an entry level manager. Uh, and then also, th there's a lot of process improvement in what, what soldiers do, right? Or Marines or, or airmen. There's so much people have to do. Uh, I think the military has coined the term do more with less. Every year, do more with less, do more with less. And, and you know, the budgets freeze up, you know, Congress is in a fight over this money or that money, and, and yet the mission continues. Um, one of my good friends was a, a gunnery sergeant in the Marines, and he was responsible for a Marine Air Wing. And he tells me stories of how many of his planes were, were uh, non-commissioned or out of commission at any given time, and how he would take parts off of one plane to keep another plane, you know, up in the, up in the air, uh, and to keep his, his, his wing in a high state of readiness. And that's process improvement. Like that's figuring out what available resources you have today and how can you squeeze that, res that resource to, to, to do more uh, without taking away from mission readiness and without harming a, a service member, right? Because no one ever wants to do that. No one would ever dream of putting, you know, a service member up in an unsafe plane, but yet the plane must go up in the air and that service member must stay completely safe. So I think, I think service members are, are on the forefront of process improvement without having a name to call it. No, well said. And I think along those lines, I'd probably add in like project management, right? The ability to execute, you know, achieve outcomes while managing resources, scope and delivery, right? They may not necessarily call it project management, but they do know about delivery and execution, right? Absolutely, all day. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not a project manager by trade. So obviously I lean into continuous improvement, but they're all part and parcel of the same thing, right? Yeah. How to launch a mission on time, on budget, within scope and achieve the outcome that's, that's needed for the, the good of the outfit. Like yeah. you're, you're spot on Charles. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so let me, let's take a little different turn here. Let me ask you a question. As you look through your career, you, you were talking about mentors early on. Um, and, um, and just through your life in general, life experience in general, um, who are probably three people who influence you the most as you were, whether you were in the service or through your transition period um, and, and uh, you know, just have really helped shape and influence you to, to where you are today? Do you, do you want me to describe them or do you want them oh, by just, name? Yeah, uh, or and, and whatever you feel comfortable with comfortable with. I think it's always uh, interesting in a learning experience to see and learn about who uh, people have, uh, you know, uh, sort of cultivated in their networks that are really the influencers for them. So what, whatever you feel comfortable sharing. Yeah, no worries. So uh, the first one, it's, it's, it's not a paid public service announcement, but uh, it's definitely my father. You know, I was, I was a rebellious teenager. I, you know, our parent, my parents were divorced. It was, not a happy time in, in my young life uh, growing up. Uh, I joined one of those good old-fashioned blended families with, you know, a stepmom and stepbrothers, and it, it didn't go well. Um, 
And, you know, after, after high school, college wasn't in the cards for me and, and there wasn't an interest nor money to go to college. And after a lot of uh, three years of struggling, uh, I suddenly decided to join the service and it was the very best decision I ever made. And I had five amazing years, uh, but I had always thought I was a disappointment to my father or that, you know, he, he loved me, but you know, I was the black sheep that just wasn't going to do very much. And, and as a, a young adult, he, he just showed me at every turn that how much he believed in me and wanted me to succeed. And uh, he never served himself and it never occurred to him to serve, but he was so proud that I had served and would tell me that all the time. He even, uh, without telling me, he drove to my, my basic training graduation in uh, Fort Jackson, South Carolina, all the way from New Jersey. It took him the better part of a day to drive there. And he didn't tell me he was coming because he wanted to watch me graduate. And man, that, you know, as a young man coming up in the world, that, that, that shakes your, your core, that, that this, this guy you've frustrated every, every day of your life for about 20 years, all of a sudden is so amazingly proud of you. And uh, it, it, it changed my, it changed my view overnight of, of from being the rebellious kid that, that wanted to make him mad to a young man who wanted to make him proud. And, and luckily I had the fortune in my life for him to tell me several times that I had done so. And, you know, I'm forever blessed for that. Uh, in my career, uh, I ran into some real trouble in my young career as a, as a, as a mid-level leader uh, responsible for the careers and, and lives of others. Um, I made some real mistakes. And if you're a leader and you spend enough time in leadership, you're going to find yourself in HR on the wrong side of the desk, and it's going to be pretty unpleasant. Uh, and I'm no, no, I'm no exception. And during my troubles, I had the fantastic fortune to be assigned to a, a, a life coach named B. Austell. And B was just wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Um, she called BS on me at every turn. She forced me to confront what I was really thinking and what I was really feeling, and she always challenged me. And she, she demanded that I think, and think through a process, think through uh, what's my physiological response? You know, what's my response right now? Am I red in the face? Am I breathing really hard? Am I clenching my jaw? Am I clenching my fists because I'm getting so angry? And then she would just ask me, what are you getting so angry about? Why is your body responding to a fairly typical office situation? And through lots of coaching and, and care from her, she really uh, plugged me back into a situation I was pretty unplugged from at that point. And she dared me to succeed no matter how much I wanted to just quit and walk away from it. And, and that's when I became hyper aware of just my, my, uh, my executive presence, my professionalism, like, am I getting angry? Do I feel myself getting angry? And when I do, can I bring it back down again? If I, if I brought myself up, can I bring myself back down? And through her coaching and tutelage, I got so much stronger as a, just a career professional and just as a person, because someone's always going to make you angry. Someone's always going to cut you off or cut you in line or do some petty nothing to you. And it's how you react to that that's so powerful. And once you understand that you can completely control your reaction to things, you can't control them. They're going to cut you off too bad, but you can control how you react to it. Then it changes the game completely. Because you take for given, the, the X factor is the cutoff. It's going to happen. But the Y factor is you, what you do with that information. And then, of course, here in the Nashville community, Big Dave Ford, uh, he's such an inspiration. He's such a game changer. He's super active in the veteran community. And um, during my, my time of transition last year, he was right there to, to listen and give feedback and give guidance, uh, connected me all over the Nashville veteran community in ways I wasn't previously connected 
and it was just a voice. It was just a voice of reason saying, hey, you're in transition right now, and that's okay. And you're going to be here again, probably sooner than you like it, and that's okay too. And so let's decide how we're going to process that information and what we're going to do with this situation. And, you know, tell me what you want, like, what are your outcomes you want? And then let's talk through how to get there together. Because uh, transition happens, whether you like it or not. So Dave has Dave's been such a huge part of my current life, but all three of these people shaped me at such different times at a time when I really needed shaping. So um, I think the world of mentors and I think mentors belong at every level and every stage of your career. It's just whether you're finally willing to, to, to shush up and listen. How oh, well said, and thanks for sharing those, uh, you know, those uh, stories here. You know, it's definitely, it's always impressive to, to hear people when they talk about those, uh, those individuals who shape their lives. Um, so definitely thank you for sharing. Um, if, if you were to say, you know, and, and this is a, a fun question, Will, so if you were to take a step back and all of a sudden, you know, you had a superpower, what would that one superpower be? I would read people's minds, Charles. I'd love to know what people are, I would love to know what people are thinking because what I've come to believe is they're probably not thinking anything half as bad as you think they're thinking. Uh, and if you could read their minds and you could see their intentions, you'd realize they're pretty darn benign. And in fact, they're probably not even thinking about you. Uh, but you, you're out here thinking they're plotting and scheming and all these other things. So uh, I'd love to be able to read those minds and, and stop, uh, stop breathing all this ill intent into the world. <laughs> Very cool. I think I, I, you know, as I thought about this question, I, I never thought about the reading minds. I, mine was always something like, flying <laughs> flying would be super cool don't get me wrong <laughs> but i think the the one that'd be more impressive and 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 more impactful would definitely be the, the reading of the minds for sure um you know and one thing i think uh you know as you sort of talk about uh, in nashville so outside of you know uh with covid and everything else um with any comments about just nashville in general in the terms of the broader veteran community you've been introduced to in terms of just the for anybody who's listening who may be in the uh, Nashville area about you know uh, opportunities to go out and engage with you know some of the nonprofits that you identified earlier or service groups I, I think it's your organization Charles it's the Nashville Veteran Corporate's Co Corporate Council what's so what's so powerful is Nashville just kind of gets it it gets that that there's a large veteran community I mean we have Fort Campbell right up the road we have several huge bases within a couple hours drive uh, so it's, it's a vibrant community, but we have a bunch of companies out here really trying hard to get it. Um, MapGo comes to mind, Tractor Supply, Amazon, all have thriving veteran communities uh, and veteran ERGs. Uh, it's a beautiful city. Um, taxes are low. Property values are reasonable. Uh, I, I came here 20 years ago and just fell in love with the pace of life. Uh, I came from the Northeast where it's super tense and super aggressive and, and down here it's kind of just a slower way of life. Uh, it's not slow by any means, but it's slower. Uh, and there's a bunch of companies trying real hard to, to get it and they're not there yet and they're not there on a lot of fronts, but they're trying. They're trying really hard and despite how bad sometimes the media can make us feel about the state of things, uh, I'm, often, I'm often taken back by how much change we've experienced in the last 20, 30 years and things that were illegal before that are legal now or shunned before that are now accepted we have a very long road to go so i'm not making light of that 
but man, I've seen so much powerful change in my life. And, and I think Nashville's trying real hard to get it. And I think these companies that are based here, and there's some huge companies based in the, the middle Tennessee area, and they're trying really hard to get it. And uh, I don't see, a, I, I, as I think about the veteran community, I don't see a lot of profiteering in the sense of uh, ERGs must be able to provide positive ROI in the first two years, or we're going to fold the program. I don't see and hear that. I, I see a lot of companies investing and saying, help us figure this out. And we're just going to write this money off as like veteran you know, or community support or doing good work or whatever they call, you know, whatever they call the program. And that's a blessing. Um, locally, I mean, holy cow, there's so many great outfits you can support. support. Uh, and, and what's really neat, especially with Operation Stand Down, Operation Homefront, um, that's the industry. You'll find when you go to these spaces, there's cross-corporate collaboration. So you might be hanging out with MAPCO. You might, you might be doing some work with Bridgestone, and it's great, and we love it. And we're out there, you know, building picnic tables for, for a school that needs their picnic tables rebuilt because they, you know, the old ones rotted out. And you're talking to a graphic designer from Bridgestone and, and a, a logistics specialist from MAPCO, and, and it's, it's a lot of fun, and it's, it's super cool. And I'm always reinvigorated by how many different companies are trying so hard to figure this thing out. And, and my, my thought is we'll figure it out together. So I think Nashville is a heck of a place to give it a go. Absolutely. And, and definitely will, you know, I think, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't, you know, uh, want to thank you for, you know, just what you do for the fellow veterans, you know, here in Nashville, you know, um, you know, as I said earlier, you know, from the uh, first time we met, I think one of the things that it's always impressed me was, your willingness to assist any, whether it's another organization or uh, other veteran charities and nonprofits, you know, you've never asked about, you know, to your point earlier about what could they do for you? It was always about what you, what you could do for them. And you really bring to light that veteran service ethos. So one, thank you for all you do there. And I definitely um, like to thank you again for taking time out of your evening on a Wednesday. I'm, you know, I think a lot of us have a, you know, probably a lot of episodes on TV to watch since we're stuck at home with no sports <laughs> due to COVID. <laughs> but uh, definitely thank you for taking time out of your evening and away from your wife to, to spend some time with us and um, giving the people a chance to learn a little bit more about you and, you know, just get some in new insights and perspectives. Very cool, Charles. Thank you so much for having me. I, I so appreciate the work you do and trying to, to bring all these companies together to kind of figure it out with a single voice instead of, 30 or 40 scattered voices off in the wilderness, all shouting in different directions. So I, I think the work you're, you're trying to do and your, your, your tribe you're forming up here is so powerful. And I would urge anyone listening to, to, to look you up and get involved. It's the right stuff. Awesome. Thanks again, Will. See ya. Bye. Good night, Charles.